Hey, my name's Jordan, and I want to thank you for tuning into the Pops Podcast. This episode covers the relationship between grace and peace for followers of Christ. It's brought to us by Aji and is based on Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. Take it away, Aji. Paul said in Colossians 1:1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. And just to do a quick recap, I just want you to know whatever you're doing for the Lord, you are called. Just like God called Paul, you are called. You see, there is always a tendency sometimes to feel, uh, you know what, I'm just a nobody. I go to church, I come home, I take care of my kids, I go to work, I go on vacation, and I do it all over again every year. You are called. You are a meaningful specific. God never wastes anything. You are designed before the foundation of time. God puts you together. You are special to him. You are designed for a particular function, a particular role in the body of Christ. Never minimize. The enemy will have you minimize who you are. But you are, you'll be surprised when you get to see the Heavenly Father and he really reveals who you are. You'll be like, oh my God, I never realized that. Begin to realize that from now on. Just like God put Jesus Christ on this earth to achieve a specific purpose, so are you. You've been put on this earth for such a time as this. And you are called and you are empowered. You are anointed. And you are covered by the blood. So I will encourage you, if you are not serving the Lord in any capacity, when you get to church the next time, begin to serve. Find out where the Lord is leading you and begin to serve. And you will see how God will move through you. So that was just a quick recap of J, I mean, Colossians 1.1. So today we're going to look at Colossians 1.2. Colossians 1.2. These are verses that are straight from the mouth of God written through Apostle Paul, and I'm going to read my introduction. The title of the message is Paul's Greetings to the Colossians. Paul's Greetings to the Colossians. Paul is writing to the Christians at Colossae because the false religion of Gnosticism had entered the church. You might wonder what is Gnosticism. Gnosticism questions the deity of Christ. You can see the devil is it's a crazy devil. The moment Jesus Christ left, and these people in, Coloss- in Colossae, the Colossians, they accepted Christ. They led Judaism. They accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. The enemy started to plant seeds of doubt about their salvation. It started to make them question who Christ was. It started to make them doubt Jesus Christ was not the Messiah. He didn't come to save them. He didn't come to redeem them of their sins. So this is what Paul is trying to refute in the book of Colossians. So Gnosticism questions the deity of Christ as the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Paul's goal in the book of Colossians is to refute Gnosticism by the establishment of three main points, which he later develops throughout the book of Colossians. The first point that Paul is trying to establish in this is that Christ is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He's not even subject to questioning. He's trying to tell the Colossians, don't even go there. Christ is the Son of God, the head of the church, and the Savior of the body, the church, the big church. Number two, the believer's identification with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. There is nothing Christ did that you want a part of, okay? Never see Jesus Christ as a separate entity and you a separate entity, because you are the body of Christ. When he was crucified, you were crucified with him. When he was buried, you were buried with him. When he was quickened and made alive, you were quickened and made alive with him. 
And when he was raised from the dead, you were raised together with him. And when he was seated at God's right hand, you were seated with him. So never look at Jesus and say, that's Jesus and I'm here. No, you are, you are Jesus. He's the head. You are his body. And like I said last time, you don't call the head Christ and call the body something else. You don't call the head Aji and call my body Bob. I am one unit. Aji is one unit. So is Christ. He's the head. You are the body. So everywhere you go, you are Christ. I'm not saying you are Christ in terms of Jesus Christ in the flesh, but you are his body. You are his representative. You are his ambassador. And that's one of the things Paul is preaching in Colossae. Nobody has ever heard this. God gave this revelation to Paul that believers are the body of Christ. Then the third point Paul is trying to establish is this. is found support to his friend and his dear brother Epaphras. Epaphras is the pastor and the head of the local church in Colossae. So Paul begins his letter to the church at Colossae with his familiar greeting. And what's that greeting? Colossians 1-2. And it's in your handout. If you don't have the handout, it's in the back. Paul writes, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll read that again. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And before we delve into this, we'll say a quick prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have highly exalted Jesus Christ. You have highly exalted him above every being in heaven, every being on earth, and every being under the earth. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee must bow, every tongue must confess, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Lord Jesus Christ, we invite your presence in this place right now. You said we are two or more gathered together in your name, you are there. So we invite not just your presence, but your tangible, tangible presence upon your church. This is your church you have shed your blood for. I take authority over injuring spirit, demonic spirit, any contrary spirit against the Holy Spirit. We bind you, we cast you out in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Father, let your word go forth strong tonight. Let it deliver people. Let it save them. Let them be healed. Let them be blessed. Let them be inspired. Father God, grant us tonight the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our understanding may be enlightened. Father, we thank you because we have asked for these things. We believe we have received them, and so shall they be in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen and amen. So let's begin to look at... Paul's greeting, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. So when Paul used the term saints, we need to clarify that. That's why you have to look at each of these words he spoke. They are words from the Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit. Paul said to the saints, then he said, and the faithful brethren. Have you ever thought, what's the difference? Why is Paul categorizing the church in two terms? He could have said to the church at Colossae, but intentionally, it broke them down. He said in the church at Colossae, there are two groups of people. They are all Christians, but some are saints and some are faithful brethren. And I want to ask you that tonight. If I were to ask you, which one are you? Are you a saint? Are you a faithful brethren? So who is a saint? Who is a saint? A saint is any sinner who is saved by grace. That's who a saint is. A saint is any sinner who is saved by grace. He is a believer in Jesus Christ. 
He is a convert who attends the church, but not committed to the church, and is not growing in faith. Very important. A saint is a convert who attends the church, but not committed to the church, and is not growing in faith. Now, let me step back. What a saint is not, because there is a lot of confusion out there. What is not a saint? Now, let me, let me share that with you. A saint in the New Testament is not someone who has been canonized by the Roman Catholic Church. I know in Pittsburgh, we have a lot of Catholics. And even me, myself, in, I came from a Catholic elementary school when I was in Nigeria. I went to a private school. It was an elementary school. I got blessed there. A great lady from England was my headmistress. Mother Dostan, we called her. And may God bless her. May her soul rest in peace. I know she's in heaven. A saint is not someone who has been accorded authoritative standing or canonized by the Roman Catholic Church. A saint is not someone who is immortalized in a stained glass window whose relics are worshipped and supposed to perform miracles. That's not a saint. If that's your idea of what a saint is, flush it tonight. Because that's not what the Bible calls a saint. A saint in the Bible is any sinner who is saved by grace, a believer in Jesus Christ. That is who a saint is. So, so then, what is a faithful brethren or a faithful brother in Christ? Who is Paul referring to when he said faithful brother in Christ? A faithful brother in Christ is also a saint or a believer, but he is committed to service. He is committed to serving God and serving people and is committed to his church, and is growing in faith. Two different, two different group of people. So I ask you again, are you a saint, or are you a faithful brethren? Let's look at two examples. Let's look at Colossians 1.7. Colossians 1.7 says, And you also land up Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ for you. Epaphras is a faithful brethren. You see, look at how it was described. And you also land up Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. He's a servant. Okay? Look at Colossians 4.9. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. If you notice, there's one common adjective between those two verses. The term faithful. A faithful doesn't come to church only at Easter and Christmas. It might be a saint, but it's not a faithful brethren. A faithful servant is someone that is dependable, reliable, loyal, steadfast. And I want you to begin to challenge yourself tonight. Are you dependable? Are you reliable? Are you loyal? Are you steadfast? Are you a faithful brother? Or are you someone that says, ah, you know, I can't look nasty out there today. I'm not going to church. Even though I'm serving, ah, they will find someone else. God wants you to become faithful. Because our Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, was faithful. He is dependable, reliable, loyal, and steadfast. If you were to take a survey of your community, from your home, your wife, your children, your community, will they say, mm, when it comes to David, he is dependable, reliable, loyal, and steadfast? If you are not, make 2023 the year you will become that. Okay? Because the more you become that, the more you're Christ-like. And I want to tell you something. Those two groups are not only in the church in Colossae. 
Most people think, oh, that's church in Colossae. No, 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 no. That is still existing in church today. No matter church you represent to here, you represent here. Victory Family Church, Northway, or any other church, they are the saints and they are the faithful brothers. I'll give you a quick example. During COVID, a lot of people left the church. Some renounced their faith. In fact, 41% of people that were going to church prior to COVID never returned. Do you know that? 41%, almost 50% never returned to church up till now. Some renounced the faith. Some just said, you know what? Forget that gathering together with other believers. I'm going to Zoom my church. Brothers, I'm going to be honest with you. If you Zoom in church, God bless you. But the Lord wants you to be appearing in person. If you are one of those saints that has fled the church, go back. And that is from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not being harsh with you because I love you. Gathering together involves me able to shake you, hug you, have a cup of coffee with you, ask you what's going on. You cannot watch TV and fully experience what God has for you. So go back to church. That's where you belong. Because God wants you to become a faithful brethren, a faithful brother in Christ. It is not God's will for you to remain a saint. God wants you to move on and be promoted into becoming a faithful brother. And the transition begins when you are committed to service, committed to serve God, and begin to grow in your faith. Put your hand to something. Be an usher. Train the kids. Mow the lawn. Be a parking lot attendant. Do something. We are going to take a deeper dive again in saints and faithful brethren. One thing I want to tell you, both classes, both the saints and the faithful brethren, they are both consecrated to God. They have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. They are saved. To be consecrated means that as far as God is concerned, we belong to him and we are set apart for a special use. We belong to him and we are set apart for a special use. You are consecrated. And I want to share a scripture with you that really illuminates that. Ephesians 2.10 in the Amplified Classic. Ephesians 2.10 in the Amplified Classics. For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking the path which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. God has that plan for you. You are his workmanship. He created you. He recreated you in Christ Jesus. You are born anew that you may do specific good works. Specific good works. You are a disciple. You are called to serve. Saints and faithful brethren are both consecrated to God. Let's also look at Colossians 1-2 in the Amplified Classic. Colossians 1-2 in the Amplified Classic says, To the saints... The consecrated people of God and believing and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. So both saints and the faithful brethren, they are both consecrated to God. We belong to him and we are set apart for a specific use. When we are looking at the term consecration, it also means we ourselves, if we are special to God, we also have to be special to ourselves. It is the separation of ourselves from anything unclean. You see, once you accepted Christ and you become a saint, or you are a faithful brethren, you, have to, you can no longer live like the world lives. You see, 
All of us, I remember, let me pick on myself, when I left college, when I was in college, I was backsliding. And I remember during that time, I used to look forward to the weekends, and I'll get my booze ready. At the time, I used to I have that ready, and I'll know the nightclub I'm going to go to. I do all those things. But one day, the Lord said, Ajibola, that is enough. That is enough. I didn't call you to that. It's time you separate yourself. You have to become clean. Become a saint. Separate yourself from anything or anyone that will contaminate your relationship with a perfect God. So I want to ask you that tonight. What are you contaminating yourself with? How is the devil compromising you? How is the devil stealing, killing, and destroying you? What are you doing that you know is not pleasing to the Lord, that the Lord wants you to give up? That is consecration. You have to separate yourself from it, whatever that is, because it's causing you to lack effectiveness, and it's causing you to be law. It's causing you to lack loyalty and steadfastness. Very important that we separate ourselves from things that are unclean. What else is consecration? Consecration is giving ourselves, our mind, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, and our feet to the Lord and becoming a living sacrifice. You see, being a Christian is not just going to church. They said about 80% of Americans classify themselves as Christians, but are they truly Christian? Or is it just a brand we slap on ourselves, but it's not reflective in our lifestyle? Meaning a Christian means that you're living like Christ. You are, an, you are a copy of Christ. And the world, your neighbors has to say, there's something different about you. You don't do what we do. You don't talk like we talk. You don't go to places that we go. What's so different about you? Tell us more about what you believe. If they are not saying that and they are saying, you know what? You're kind of like us. Why should I listen to you? I don't see anything that separates you from me. You curse like I curse, you drop the F-bomb at the drop of a dime. You watch the same program I watch. You go to church when you're convenient, when it's convenient for you. You don't read the word. What distinguishes you from people in the world that are not saints? So it's time we begin to ask ourselves these questions. Because why? Jesus Christ is coming soon. I just want to tell you know that. I don't know the date, but they had all the signs are present. And they are very visual. Don't be caught in sin. Don't indulge. Don't say, well, you know, my dad struggled with this. After all, God understands. Snap out of it. Become a saint and live like one. Become a faithful brethren. Look at Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you. This is Paul speaking again to the Romans. He's begging us. He said, I beg of you in view of all the masses of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies. Presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Paul was telling the Romans, quit the nonsense. You can no longer live how you used to live when you are out there. It's time to cut off the porn, cut off the drugs, cut off the humanizing, cut off the getting stoned and getting drunk. It's time to clean up. And you might not hear these kind of messages in churches today because it's not seeker friendly. But pops, we are not trying to, I mean, we would love this place to be filled, right? Jay, tell me if I'm wrong. We would like this place to be filled, but we call it like it is, don't we, brother? We call it like God calls it. And to your own good. It's for your own good. Christ wants you to be like him. He wants you to carry his presence into your home. You are the head. We are the leaders of our home, guys. 
We are the leaders in this country. This country is going south right now at a very fast speed. There are some righteous men that need to rise up and say enough. And it starts with you and I. We cannot be like them. We cannot talk like them. We cannot watch what they watch. We cannot believe in the same thing we believe. They believe. And we have to speak out. Because if nobody does it, nobody, it's not going to happen. We cannot be politically correct. I want everybody, everybody to pat us on the back. You got to stand out. Don't blend in. Stand out. They are all swimming downstream. You, you, you swim upstream because you are Christian. Christ is the first five letters of who you are. These things are very important. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is coming very soon. He might come before the night is over. And I don't want you to see him and you're like, ah, oh, I'm not ready. Consecration is not a single one-time only decision. It is a lifestyle. It's continuing to pursue God. And I know it's not going to be perfect. We all, we all fall short. But be quick to ask for forgiveness. Be quick to ask for forgiveness. God even says, he said, if we ask for forgiveness, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. He told Peter, Peter said, should I forgive my neighbor seven times? God says 17 times 70. Ask for forgiveness as often. Don't let the enemy corner you and say, after all, you just had that big blasting argument with your wife. Everybody in the neighborhood heard you this morning. Who are you to pray for someone in the afternoon when you just had a big blowout fight in the morning? Don't let the enemy condemn you. Just say, Satan, shut up. I have asked for forgiveness. The moment you ask for forgiveness, repent, and it's done. It is done. God will forgive you immediately. So who is Paul writing this letter to? He's writing this letter to the saints and faithful brethren in Colossae that are in Christ. They are in Christ. Never dismiss those two letters. Those are some of the two most powerful words in the Bible. In Christ is a game changer. Those two words were never used in the Old Testament, but it began to be, it's not even, it wasn't even used in Matthew, Luke, John. It began to be used in the letters that Paul wrote. That was the person God gave the revelation to and gave those two terms to, in Christ. And it's good news that we are in Christ. Every believer on this planet has, has, on this planet Earth has two addresses. Do you know you have two addresses? I was talking to Brother Paul earlier tonight. Brother Paul is moving to a new house. And he's very excited about it, even though he's not really cherishing the moving part of it. <laughs> he's already packing the boxes, and I know how he feels. So he's going to be getting a new address. I used to live in Africa. I had my address in Nigeria, but I came to America. I have a new address. As you sit here right now, you have two addresses. You might say, really, how you tell me about them? You see, one address is in the earthly realm, and the other is in the heavenly realm. The believer or the brother is in Colossae, or he might be in Cranberry, or he might be in Wexford, or he might be living in, where do you live, Brother Kent? He lives very far away. Evan City. Wherever you may live, that is your earthly address. But guess what? You also have an heavenly address in Christ. And that's why Paul used those terms, in Christ. Because you have been raised together with Christ, and you are seated together in Christ. And the message here is this, don't be too busy and focused on your physical earthly address that you forget your spiritual address at God's right hand in the heavenly realm. In fact, I like to challenge people, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself more so as in Christ or do you see, do you see yourself more so as an American? Your goal is to see yourself more as in Christ. You see, you are a spiritual being 
having a temporary physical experience on earth rather than a physical being having a temporary spiritual experience. Do you get that? I'm going to say it again. You are a spiritual being having a temporary physical experience on planet earth. You are not a physical being having a temporary spiritual experience. You see, you came from God. And by the grace of God, we'll spend 100, 120 years on this earth. And you live with God for another trillion years. So the smallest portion of your journey is the journey you're going to be on earth. It's like tiny, tiny. You can't even, in the blimp and the context of time, you can't see it in relevance to eternity. And that is why if you're going to live somewhere for trillions of years, and you're only going to live somewhere for 0.00001% of the time, which is your time on earth, why will you focus and get so roused about things going on on this earth? Shouldn't you be more focused on your heavenly address, your heavenly status? Look at Ephesians 2, 5, 6. Let me refresh you with your heavenly address. And I've already quoted this scripture earlier tonight, but I want you to set your eyes on them and read it with me. Ephesians 2, 5, 6 from the New King James Version. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, I want you to pay attention from this point on to together. I want you to pay attention to how much you are conjoined with Christ. So let's start. I'll go back and read. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Made us, us in this place, on this hill. He made us. See, those are powerful words. Together with Christ. Continue to watch how many times it says together. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up. Together with Christ. Never lose that. He raised us up together with Christ and made us sit together with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's your heavenly address. You are in Christ right now at God's right hand. When you go to prayer, don't come from an earthly position. Come from the heavenly position. Very important. And has everything to do with answered prayers. So when I go to prayer, Father, I'll say, Father God, I am excited and I rejoice, Lord, that I have been made alive together with Christ. Father, I thank you. I've been raised up together with Christ and I'm now seated together with Christ. Father, I'm a citizen of heaven. That's where I live right now. So I speak to this sickness. Sickness, you have no place in me. Get out and go. You see that? You command because you sit in the place of a king. You don't go like, oh, Lord, <laughs> I just don't know how I'm going to make it. I just can't get it right. The dog hates me. My wife hates me. The neighbor hates me. Things are going bad. I'm going to lose my job. No, 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 no. You don't come like that. You rejoice. You come from your heavenly status. Let me tell you what else the Bible says about your heavenly status. He said in Ephesians chapter 3, he said you have been raised up. Far above all principalities and powers. Far above. Galaxies above. You know what that means? You are raised above Satan. Do you know that? You are raised above all sicknesses. You are raised above poverty. You are raised above bankruptcy. You are raised even above death. Have you ever seen yourself like that? All those things are inferior to who you are. You see, when God said, therefore God had highly exalted him. That are the name of Jesus. When he highly exalted Jesus, he highly exalted you. Because you are in him. Very important. Very important. And I sense his presence here tonight. I sense his presence here tonight. Because we are talking about him. 
we are extolling him. And he's here amongst us tonight. And I'm very excited about that. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So we must always strive to keep this truth in balance. Our spiritual status in Christ and our physical experience on earth. Some believers are so taken up with being in Christ that they forget they are also at Colossae or they are wherever they live. Some people are so heavenly minded, and we have to be careful about this. This is why we have to keep this truth in balance. Some believers are so heavenly minded, they are not earthly good. We don't want to swing to that side of the fence. These believers sometimes are mystical, religious, impractical. So heavenly minded and not earthly good. And some have become so carnally, so carnal and worldly and too hotly minded, they are not heavenly good. So we don't want to swing to one extreme at the expense of the other. God wants you to be heavenly minded while you are being utterly good. We have to love our neighbors. We have to forgive. We have to care for the poor. We have to show the love of Christ. So even though we are heavenly minded, we are being utterly good. It has to be balanced. Some people have been so heavenly minded they've given Christianity a bad name. They cannot relate with their neighbor. They cannot even share the gospel because they are just, they have a a vague concept of who they are in Christ. Look at Colossians 3, 1, 2 in the, in the Passion Translation. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2 in the Passion Translation. And look at what it reads. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection. Do you know that? Let's say that together. Christ's resurrection is mine. No, I want you to change that. It's my resurrection. Let's say that again. Christ's resurrection is my resurrection. Amen. Whatever you are facing right now, you are resurrected from it. Begin to see yourself like that. There was a couple that came to Victory just had their EXO conference this last Saturday, and an older couple came after the service, and I spent about 40 minutes with this, with this older couple. The wife began to speak to me, and she spoke to me all the ailments that she has. By the time she finished, then she shifted to her husband and told me all the ailments that he has. And I tell you what, I couldn't remember one ailment. It was so long, and it was mentioning some names I've never even heard of before. I prayed with them, and I told this couple, I said, I'm going to give you a phrase to say, to write down, and I want you to say it continually. So the husband brought out a piece of paper and a pen, and they wrote it down. And this is the word I gave them. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is working mightily in me right now. I said, I want you to say that as many times as you could say it every day. The same power, the same resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead is working in me mightily. And I will encourage you to say that. Whatever you are facing, maybe perhaps the doctor has said you have an incurable disease. You know what? The doctor has done his own part. But Dr. Jesus and the Bible says the same resurrection life that is working in Christ is working in you because Christ's resurrection is your resurrection. This is why we are to yearn for all that is above. For, that, for that's where Christ sits, enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. And I love verse 2 as the Passion Translation st- stated it. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities, not with the distractions of the natural, natural realm. Feast. On all the treasures of the heavenly realm. Fill your thoughts with heavenly realities. That means we have to guard our thoughts. Because the enemy is going to come with thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that are contrary to the word of God. 
You see, the enemy wants to give you distractions, things that are going to get you off. He wants you to get so earthly that you forget your earthly state, your heavenly status. Look at Mark 4.19. Mark 4.19 in the Passion Translation. Mark 4.19. And these are some of the distractions of the natural realm. But they allowed the cares of this life and the seduction of wealth and the desires for other things to crowd out and choke the message so that it produces nothing. You see, those are the distractions that are going to take you from your heavenly realm that's going to want to get you distracted. He said, cares of life, seduction of wealth, and the desires for other things to crowd out and choke the message. What is crowding your mind tonight? What is causing you pain? What is the enemy trying to use to lure you away? What is the enemy trying to use to weaken you? Those are the distractions you need to speak to in your life. So Paul said to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ. Then he said something else. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace. When we are talking about grace, what are we talking about? Grace, according to the Thea, Thea lexicon, grace is goodwill, loving kindness, favor of the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them toward Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtue. That's what grace is. Grace is charis in Greek. Charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. Then grace and peace. Peace is Irene in Greek. Shalom in Hebrew. And it means security, safety, prosperity, felicity, or great happiness, according to the Thea lexicon. So Paul says, grace and peace to you. So why did Paul use that? In those days, there are two major groups of people living that Paul was writing to. They are either Greeks or Jews. How do, how do Jews greet each other? Anybody know how Jews greet each other? What do they say? Shalom. How many people know how Greeks greet each other? Greeks greet each other with charis, grace. So when Paul says, grace and peace to you, that was Paul's way of wrapping his arm around the entire world. The Jews and the Greeks. So to the Jews, he was saying shalom. And to the Greeks, he was saying charis. So he's saying, to all of you who are Greeks, I say grace be unto you. To all of you who are Jews, I say peace, shalom unto you. It was Paul's way of hugging the entire church. Look at Galatians 3.28. There is neither no Jew nor Greek. There is neither no slave nor free. There is neither no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. A couple other things about grace and peace before we begin to wrap up tonight. If you notice how he said it, he didn't say peace and grace. He said grace and peace. Why? Because grace always precedes peace. Without grace, there is no peace. Grace is the root from which salvation shoots from, and peace is the fruit of salvation. Grace is the root from which salvation shoots from, and peace is the fruit of salvation. Look at Galatians 5.20. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Grace is the root. Peace is the fruit. And the reason why Paul was saying this to the Colossians is that because in the church at Colossae, God's grace, the pipeline and the flow of God's grace is being cut off by the religion of Gnosticism. 
that religion was beginning to cut off the flow of grace into this church because they were entertaining of getting involved in a new religion that is not a religion that pertains with Christ. Grace always precedes. Without grace, there is no peace. Grace and peace are God's gifts, and they are available to everyone. And that's where we have to share the gospel. Grace and peace are God's gift, and they are available to everyone. Look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Jesus Christ shed his blood for every man, past, present, and future. That is grace. And God is waiting all of them to accept that gift, the gift of salvation. Look at John 14, 27. John 14, 27 said, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And, that, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. When you have the grace of God, there is no reason to be afraid. There is no fear because Jesus Christ has already given you a gift. In fact, if you read the Amplified Classic, it said, my, my peace I bequeath to you. I bequeath it. It's like a legacy. He bequeathed it to you. So anything that's trying to rattle your, your peace tonight, begin to rebuke it and take that gift of peace. Establish it. Enforce it in your life. And the last point I would like to make about grace and peace is this. Grace and peace operate directly proportional to our knowledge of God through his word. Grace and peace operate in our lives are directly proportional to our knowledge of God through his word. Grace and peace do not just come through just desiring them or praying for them. It comes through knowledge. Let's look at 2 Peter 1-2. 2 Peter 1-2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge. You see, and that is where most people struggle. Through the knowledge. We have to pull out the Bible. You got to find out what are your area, problems area in your life? Is it finance? Is it health? Find some scriptures, health scriptures to stand on. Find some scriptures about God meeting your needs. If it's relational problem, marriage problem, find some scriptures. That's grace. Meditate on them. The greater the meditation on grace, which is the word, the greater the revelation of grace, the greater the impartation of grace, the more peace you enjoy directly proportional. If you are the kind of person that consumes everything else, every entertainment in the world, you're on social media all night, television, radio, then you go out, you do sports, and your Bible time is like minutes. Well, thank God you're at least spending minutes in it. But if you want the peace of God, you have to spend more time in the meditation of the Word. That's where it comes from. The more grace that goes into your life, the more peace. No grace, no peace. Very important. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Do you feel peace when you wake up or throughout the day? Aji showed us that the peace of God is directly correlated to the time we spend with the Lord. If reading your Bible is something you do to check off a list or get general wisdom, you miss that Jesus is real and alive and desperately wants a relationship with you. So many of us will say that we want to hear from God, but how much have we actually spent time in His Word lately? God speaks through the Bible all the time, and if we want that relationship with Him to bring peace and fullness of joy, we have to partake in dialogue with Him. Speak to God as you would speak to a friend like Moses did. 
but have reverence and listen to him by the reading of the Bible and meditation. We hope this message was encouraging to you. If you enjoy the Pops podcast, feel free to subscribe to be notified when new episodes are released. Until next time, God bless.